Good to see all of you tonight. You know, Cinderella had a wonderful time at the ball until she heard that final stroke of midnight. She remembered what the fairy had said, and without a word of goodbye, she slipped from the prince's arms and ran down the steps. And as she ran, she lost one of her slippers. And if the last stroke of midnight were to sound, oh, what a disaster that would be. Out she fled, and she vanished into the night. The prince, who was now madly in love with her, picked up the slipper and said to the ministers, Go and search everywhere for the girl whose foot the slipper fits. I will never be content until I find her. And so the ministers tried the slipper on the foot of every girl in the land until only Cinderella was left. Well, that awful untidy girl could not have been at the ball, snapped the stepmother. Tell the prince he ought to marry one of my two daughters. Can't you see how ugly Cinderella is? But to everyone's amazement, the shoe fitted perfectly. Suddenly, the fairy appeared and waved her magic wand. And in a flash, Cinderella appeared in a splendid dress and shining with youth and beauty. Her stepmother and stepsisters gaped at her in amazement. And the minister said, come with us, Cinderella. The prince is waiting for you. So Cinderella married the prince, and they both lived happily ever after. And so the story goes. You know, what young girl or boy doesn't grow up with the expectations, you know, even the hope that someday they'll meet the prince or princess of their dreams, and they'll fall in love, and they'll live happily ever after? At least that's what we're told should happen. But then time goes by and that prince or princess doesn't appear and and you begin to think that the story must have been written for someone else. That maybe you've been written into the sequel, the happily never after story. Or perhaps you once stood at the altar who you thought was your prince or princess and the happily ever after was hardly ever happy and certainly wasn't ever after. Or the vows that you once said to one another until death do us part, they just crash into your experience all too soon. And your prince or princess was suddenly gone out of your life. And you're left alone to wonder what happened to the fairy tale ending of the story. Well, I need to admit to you that I have really wrestled putting this message together for this weekend. Because this subject of single adulthood, you know, is something experientially and practically, I know very little about. You know, I was married when I was 19 years old, and I've been married now next month for 37 years. So my experience as a single adult, it, depending on when you start counting, was all of just a few months of living on my own. You know, and th- that time was spent just preparing and, and getting ready for my wedding. You know, I recognize, though, that this topic is just vitally important. That's why we've included it in this series. But it's far from simplistic. It's complex because there is so much diversity among single adults. By definition, single adults are unmarried, 18 years or older, who happen to be single by chance, by change, by circumstance, or by choice, whether it be theirs or someone else's. 
And according to the latest numbers, there are 106 million single adults who fit somewhere in that definition living in the United States today. You know, that's 44% of all Americans over the age of 18. 61% of those have never been married. And if you're a single female, you are a member of the fastest-growing demographic in the United States. Now, those are significant numbers. The Washington Post recently reported that Americans are increasingly less likely now to marry than ever before. You know, some are, are certainly reacting to their own experience of seeing and hearing about failed marriages. And many single adults live within this tension of depending upon their life situation and relational context, of either being conditioned to wanting marriage too much, thinking that they cannot be whole without a spouse, or being so fearful of it that they end up not wanting to make that kind of commitment at all. Children are growing up today with multiple definitions on what comprises a family. You know, there are singles, there are those who are separated, there are widows, there are single parents, there are extended families, there are expanded families. There's step-families, there's blended families, there's couples living together, there's single-parent-by-choice kind of families. You know, the traditional family comprised of a husband and a wife and 2.5 kids and a dog and a cat is not much more the norm anymore. I mean, you've seen those stick-figure decals depicting family members on the back of a minivan. I mean, it must be hard keeping up with all those, depending on how the family has been changing. You know, I grew up in a blended family. My mother had been divorced, and I have one half-brother and three half-sisters, as well as one full-brother and one full-sister. And just trying to explain that back in those days was an embarrassing task. You know, I'd get a barrage of questions like, well, you know, if he's really your brother, why does he have a different last name than you? You know, I don't remember any of my classmates living in a similar situation then. But that sure has changed, hasn't it? And when I was growing up, if you weren't married by your early to mid-20s, especially for women, then something had to be wrong with you. And given all of that change over the past few decades or so, marriage is still valued as an ideal. But the thought of trying to find a lasting marriage partner, that is still met with a lot of suspicion. And it's not as though people are not looking. I mean, at last count, there are over 800 Internet dating sites that exist. You've seen them. You know, Match.com, eHarmony, Our Time, that's for those who are over 50. Perfect Match, Christian Mingle, Chemistry.com, and there's even one called Plenty of Fish. Even if people are not looking for a marriage partner, they are certainly looking for relationships. I mean, just look at how social networking has just exploded into our lives over the last few years. And because of the diversity of the experience of singleness, there's just a, a tendency just to kind of lump the single experience into just one category. You're single. You know, but people experience single adulthood differently in their 20s and in their 30s and in their 40s and so on. I mean, you get a group of singles together, and they rarely share a common story, other than the fact that they're not currently married. You know, I also realize that this topic is met with a right, wide range of, of feelings and emotions. From those that would say that singleness might not be their first preference, but that they have grown into having a, a high level of contentment as a single person. You know, they have established careers, they have healthy relationships, they have a, a vibrant spiritual life. 
They know that, that their life as a single adult has purpose and meaning. And they're distinctly aware that, that being married is not automatically better or more fulfilling. But there are other single adults, though, that find themselves in a lot of pain. You know, they see their friends and, and their family members getting married. And they feel, or they're at least made to feel, as though they are the last one left. You know, the one that didn't get picked. They have to deal with insensitive questions from others that pushes the hurt in just a little bit deeper. You know, someone recently said that if you're a single woman, chances are you've been asked one of the following three questions. Why aren't you married? Second, why aren't you married? And, of course, in the very popular, why aren't you married? You know, my youngest son just turned 27 a few weeks ago, and, and he's a wonderful single adult whose daily schedule is just packed to the brim with work and, and the pursuit of additional studies. But even when people ask my wife and I about him, one of the first questions often is, is well, is he dating anyone? Is he planning to get married someday? You know, I know these are seemingly innocent questions, just social questions that we ask, but, you know, they can be uncomfortable at times. And by the way, his cell phone number is 630. <laughs> now, even the prospect of, of never having children, getting divorced, you know, going through the intense grieving process of a, of a death of a spouse, you know, facing old age alone, you know, are all things that bring significant discouragement and loneliness and lots of questions wondering why. Is this really God's plan for me? You know, is this really his very best for my life? You know, many single adults have told me that they often feel isolated and, and marginalized and, and misunderstood, even within the church. You know, there's a vague but consistent sense that they are single in a married person's world. And while not intentional, they, they feel as though they are the ones that have to do most of the adapting, destined to exist with a, within a plan B purpose for their lives. I mean, could that be true, do you think, even here? at the Compass Church. I mean, think about this. Just two years ago, we had a total of 552 single adults attending here. Today, there are 380. Is it only me, or do you find as a congregation that, that downward trend disturbing? You know, I'm sure there's no one answer to explain that decline, but if the number of single adults is growing in the population out there, and yet it's declining here, you know, then, then we need to penetrate and reach and, and speak into our culture with much more intentionality. And that intentionality needs to come from every one of us as we seek to advance the kingdom of God. You know, if we truly exist to be an epicenter of life transformation, taking the hope of the gospel here, near, and far, you know, that means that God has called us to remove barriers and to reach across ethnicities, across generations, even across marital status. You know, that is our mission. And we want everyone who walks through these doors to, to know and experience the acceptance of genuine biblical community. Well, because of my limited experience with this topic, I wanted us to hear this weekend from some of our single adults because they have such significant things to share with us. So I'm going to invite them to come and join me here.
You know, I really appreciate each of you being willing to just uh, kind of be vulnerable with us uh, this weekend and, and be able to share some of the experiences of your own life. But Sarah, I want to start with you. You know, what do you wish that your church family knew about some of just the misconceptions and some of the challenges that you face as a single adult? Yeah, definitely. Um, as far as misconceptions go, I think whether you're married or single here today, we would all agree that wherever you are right now is a gift from the Lord. But sometimes I see singleness portrayed as a slightly lesser gift. Um, For instance, if you're single, especially as a single woman, we all have that one well-meaning friend who's like, Sarah, you're just so great. You're so great. I don't understand why some guy hasn't swept you off your feet and carried you out into the sunset yet. As if that's going to make us feel better. Um, But so it's sort of demeaned um, and almost seen as, uh, you know, singleness is like some sort of disease that marriage cures. But the truth is, 1 Corinthians 7 says that singleness is actually better than marriage in a lot of ways because you have an undivided devotion to the Lord. And so, for instance, because I'm not married, I don't have a husband or children to tend to, I can spend every Thursday night at Ignite with crazy high schoolers. I can stay up all night if I want to. I can lead a Bible study. I can do all kinds of things with unparalleled vigor because I was up at 3 in the morning feeding a newborn. Because, praise the Lord, I got a full night's sleep. Uh, So I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions, is that um, certainly singleness is not a lesser gift. If anything, it's a better gift. Uh, Don't get me wrong, marriage and family are good things. We need to do those, and do those well. But certainly singleness is not a lesser gift. Um, And then one of the greatest challenges I think we face as single Christians is that we're called to live in the world, but not of it. And we live in a culture that glorifies and idolizes sex and romance. So whether it's Twilight or The Bachelor or Grey's Anatomy or just that Bachelor, Hugh Hefner lifestyle, all the ads and billboards and novels, you can't get away from it. And then we come here to Church at the Compass where the vast majority of people are married. And there's always, not everyone, but there's always that one person who's like, just hang in there until you meet that special someone which is exactly what the world is telling us we need. We don't need to be reminded of that. We need to be reminded that we're whole in Christ, that we've already met that special someone. His name is Jesus. Um, So I think in order to help us face this tough culture, I would love to see our church make some sort of big push for a mentoring project, like it talks about in Titus 2, where the older, mature men and women come alongside the younger ones, one to one, woman to woman, man to man, not just ushering us into marriage, but reminding us that we're whole in Christ, right where we are, um, that we don't need someone else to make us whole, that we stand, like we sang, in Christ alone. And so, um, and additionally, I just encourage you to, uh, if you know a single person who's really poured into your life or into the life of your family, thank them, give them some words of affirmation and uh, give them a hug, because we're single, and we don't get a lot of affection, so remind them that they're whole in Christ, invaluable, just as they are. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Sarah. And uh, Well, let me jump across generational lines now to you, Ruth. And You know, after a lifetime of marriage, you know, how is God just helping you to just deal with now being a single adult? Yes, after being married uh, happily for 54 years and spending my time rearing seven children, I was well-versed in keeping a home, but all of a sudden I was thrust into the business world, which I was not acquainted with. And it was very uh, challenging. It is very challenging 
to um, have the house to keep up, the yard to keep up, to have taxes, insurance, uh, even uh, doing a checkbook, which I hadn't done. I'm still learning that. But um, God put me in this position, and he is there. Um, I was feeling very down um, and challenged, like I say, but I went to the scriptures, and I found that David, in Psalm 42 and 43, said the same prayer three times. He said, why am I so downcast? Why am I um, sad? Hope in God. I shall yet praise him. The help of my countenance and my God. And I've had that by my computer for two and a half years, and it's meant a great deal to me because I have found that God is our hope, that he is my life, he is my strength when I go to him and study the word, and he always encourages me. And he's my life, he's my love. I know that he cares for me, he protects me. Um, He is my hope. He gives me hope that there's still life, I still have things to do. He still has things for me to do. He gives me a peace because he's in charge of my life. I can't get that peace by myself because I'm not in control of things. But as I tell my children, he has a zillion ways. That's more than a million or a billion. It's out there somewhere. A zillion ways of make things happen to bless us. And so when we trust in him, he gives us peace. And then as we look and see all the things that he's done and blessed us with, we have joy. Walk with God. Thanks. That's really encouraging. And that is a lot of ways, isn't it? Well, Amy, let me uh, go over to you here. Uh, What do you find hard about being single? Um, You know, I think probably as a single mom, you can feel sometimes isolated, like you don't quite fit into the rest of the world that your Christian friends do. Um, It's not anything anybody says or doesn't say or does or doesn't do. It's really more, I think it's it's that you feel like you're always the one who needs to do the reaching out. And that can be a little disheartening and a little lonely. Or even the simple things like something good or exciting happens and you want to pick up the phone and call someone. (laughs) And uh, for, for me, for 13 years, that was my husband. And even though I have a lot of friends, sometimes it can feel like there's no one who's been rooting for me or who is, uh, wants to celebrate with me. And so that, that's probably one of the, the tougher things. Um, and then, too, I think that sometimes it's um, just trying to find balance. Uh, and I know that's hard for everybody, but trying to manage a home and uh, work full-time and to be the kind of parent you want to be Ultimately, it's all on you, and um, that can be kind of heavy. I have a, a good friend at work, and, and she, she'll say to me, you know, my husband's traveling this week, and I feel like a single parent, and it's so hard. I don't know how you do it. And your reality is you find a way, <laughs> but there is no end of the week or end of the month when you get a reprieve. You feel that weight all the time. But um, I am so thankful. In so many ways, I'm blessed in my life. Um, and, and ultimately, the greatest pain that I've experienced, which was the end of my marriage, is what drew me to the Lord, 
when I was finally able to, to truly understand how to lean into him, even being a believer my whole life, to be my comfort and my strength. Well, let me ask you an additional question. How does your faith in the church uh, make a difference in your life? You know, it's, it's everything. Um, I, one of the blessings of being a single person, and, and, you know, Paul tells us it is a blessing, is that you do tend to go to the Lord first when you're struggling. Um, it's, it's kind of natural to go to him first, and, and when you're struggling over much, then maybe you, you go to get help from other people. But um, it can be really hard to make that leap. Um, as, as a parent, as a single parent especially, I am so grateful to have the church as my family. My family doesn't live close by, and so having my church family to be a part of, of that role for me here locally has been a huge blessing, and especially um, in youth group. You know, my son is involved on Thursday and Sunday, and I'm encouraged and moved when I see people like Sarah and all the other leaders pouring into him. I feel like if I'm the only one doing that, it's, it'll be much harder for him to make his faith his own. Um, and it can be easy for our kids, whether you're a single parent or a married parent, to, um, to find their own faith. And it can be really easy to have two different worlds, their church world and the real world. And so um, having the church family pour into our kids is really critical to help them bridge those influences I think for, for me personally, I'm still working on my own journey to truly understand God's grace, um, to lean into him when I fall short, and, you know, to be vulnerable too, to be able to um, tell my friends when things are tough, to be open to asking for help and not be ashamed of that, and probably even harder, not being ashamed to ask for time, and just recognizing that God so often uses his people to meet even our deepest needs. Great. Well, thank you. Now, Jake, you are just about ready to make a major career transition. And so how has being a single adult, you know, helped you have the freedom and just the ability to be able to do that? All right. Well, yeah, right now I'm working here as a civil engineer, and shortly I take off for Phnom Penh, Cambodia. And I've committed to teach uh, four semesters of English there. And so, yeah, it's uh, kind of a big uh, change in my life. And um, I'm going with a mission group called ELIC. Is what they do is uh, they take Christians and put together teaching teams over in Southeast Asia, you know, uh, part of the globe where there are you know very few Christians, uh, very few outward Christians, and so um, there's considerable opportunity for us to you know witness our Christian faith in places where there may be you know no one else uh, for them to hear the word. And so being single for me right now is a blessing. I mean, I can just pack up, clean up my apartment, and take off. Um, I don't have anyone to depend on me. And, you know, certainly the case of going all the way to Cambodia, you know, that's not exactly a first-world country. And, um, you know, if I had a wife and especially kids, I'm not sure how that would work or if I would even consider this, you know, opportunity at all. So, yeah, being single right now, you know, hopefully not the rest of my life, but right now I can pack up and go, and that's pretty awesome. Well, I really appreciate all of you being a part of the Compass Church and uh, just for what God is doing in and through your lives. So let's show our appreciation to each one of them. <laughs> you know, I just want to take the few moments that, uh, that we have left to, to kind of set a biblical framework uh, for us to apply to our lives. 
You know, I, th- I think it's important for all of us, you know, whether we're single or married, to, to think through what our individual response needs to be. But I think we need to hear, first of all, from the heart of God. So, so listen for a minute just how he speaks directly into the relational needs of our lives. This is from the prophet Hosea, chapter 2. In that coming day, says the Lord, you will call me my husband instead of my master. I will make you my wife forever showing you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. I will be faithful to you and make you mine, and you will finally know me as Lord. You know, I wish we just had hours to unpack those few words because they describe in a most powerful way the intensity of God's desire for intimacy with his people. And he has chosen us. He actually wants us. He's not going to walk out on us. He will never abandon us. He'll never reject us. You know, he just desires to lavish his unfailing, everlasting love upon us so that we might live as redeemed people in light of his forgiveness, his acceptance, and his grace. Boy, that is so God, isn't it? I mean, you would expect nothing less of him than to speak boldly into our lives regarding our deepest needs and especially regarding our relationships. So to understand what he's doing in and through our lives, what he has designed for us, what he has purposed for us, whether it be in the context of singleness or marriage, we really need to embrace what he's saying here. I will be faithful to you. I will make you mine. And you will finally know me as Lord. You know, I think these words from the prophet Hosea represent what the Bible has to say overall about the heart of God and what he desires for us in our relationships. Our relationship with him, our our relationship with each other, and in understanding his plan and his purposes for our marriages and for singleness. So let me give you just three principles that I believe that God's word teaches us. The first one is this. You know, your value and identity is not in your marital status, but in your redemptive status. Your value and identity is not in your marital status, it's in your redemptive status. You know, John Piper has said that the greatest, wisest, most fully human person who has ever lived never married. That's Jesus Christ. You know, if our value and identity is placed solely on on, on whether we're married or not, Well, then there has to be something missing. You know, the Bible strongly affirms marriage. It also strongly affirms singleness. But even more, it strongly affirms that our value, our identity, and our purpose comes through the person of Jesus Christ. Being in right relationship with him. You know, we stand before our Redeemer on equal ground. There's nothing in Christ that distinguishes one's value over another. You know, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. One Christian historian has stated that Christianity was the very first religion that held up single adulthood as a viable way of life. You know, that stood out in stark contrast in a culture that set single adults aside as social and religious outcasts. The life of Jesus Christ forces us just to step back in amazement over who our God is and what he's doing among cultures and among peoples. Why? Because Jesus Christ 
transcends cultural norms. And he cuts across status. You know, whether married or single, he has declared that this is how our lives would be lived out through him. You know, once you receive Jesus Christ into your life as your Savior, you know, your whole eternal destination changes. You have forgiveness of your sins. You are reconciled to God. And, and then the Bible tells us that you're placed into his family, into his household. You become his child through adoption. You become his son. You become his daughter. Receiving an inheritance of all the riches of Christ. The Bible is just packed full of language describing how we are now part of a spiritual family. All our relationships gain significance and, and value and meaning because of Him. Second, singleness reveals the sufficiency of Jesus Christ in all things. You know, because the character of Jesus Christ is equally revealed through the marital relationship and through singleness, they both serve as powerful testimonies to the life-changing truth of the gospel. Have you ever thought about that before? I mean, in marriage, you have the opportunity to demonstrate sacrificial love and, and submission through your commitment to your husband or to your wife and everything that testifies to God's covenantal love toward his people. The Bible uses the marital relationship as a picture of God's love and his commitment to us. And that is something that he wants continually displayed through our marriages. In your singleness, you have the opportunity to reveal the, the amazing, amazing sufficiency of Christ. You know, and that's a declaration that following Jesus brings fulfillment and contentment in and of itself. You know, it's a declaration uh, that this is uh, that you have everything that you need in Jesus. And this is where the church family especially has to come in, just as Amy was talking about. Because God has not designed us to live out our lives apart from relationships that are in community with one another. But rather than to pursue relationships as the culture pursues them, living in light of the sufficiency of Christ means that you're aligning your desires with God's desires. You're determining to, to treat others as, as you want to be treated. And you're concentrating on building others up in Christ. You know, you begin to see that the relationships you have in Christ are, are much more permanent, more precious, and more powerfully fulfilling than any other relationship that you could possibly have. When it comes to the marriage relationship, though, Tim Keller has asked these questions. He says, what happens if we see the mission of marriage to teach us about our sins in unique and profound ways and to grow us out of them through providing someone who speaks the truth and love for us. I mean, how different would it be if, if we were to fall in love, especially with the glorious thing God is doing in our spouse's life? You know, marriage is temporary. You know, as you already heard, there, there's not going to be any marriage in heaven, according to, to Mark chapter 12. It will finally give way to the relationship to which it's pointing to all along, the marriage of Christ and his church. You know, as God's people, uh, we are the princess, the, the bride of Christ who eagerly waits for the coming of the prince. Marriage is temporary, but it's a powerful temporary because you can reveal to the world the difference that Christ makes. 
You know, if you are married for 50 years under the best of circumstances, it is only a momentary blip in comparison to eternity. And you only have the brevity of your lifetime to get it right. And you cannot do that apart from Jesus. You know, one of the first questions I always ask couples who are struggling in their marriage is at what point did you throw Jesus out of your relationship? Because a relationship with Jesus Christ enables you to do the hard things. Like loving unconditionally. Like forgiving completely. Like committing to one another throughout your lifetimes. Those are things that God does. They reveal his character. And you cannot do them apart from him. You know, marriage is a powerful picture of the relationship Christ has with his church, and, and singleness is a powerful picture of the sufficiency of Christ in all things. You know, I saw this being lived out uh, uh, in my mother's life. And as I mentioned, my mom had been divorced. And she had four children who, when she met my dad soon after uh, he returned from Korea. And they were married and had three more children. I'm number six. And I remember the day that when they committed their lives to Christ, it was on an Easter Sunday, and and their lives changed dramatically. They devoted themselves to one another and to their family and, and to Jesus Christ in such a remarkable way. And the remainder of their 46 years of marriage was filled with the study of Scripture, with ministry, and with sharing the gospel. They knew what it, what it meant to get every moment right and how to make every moment count in that little blip. But then my dad was suddenly and unexpectedly passed away, and he was gone from her life. And over the next 10 years, there were certainly days of intense grieving and, and loneliness, but oh, did I see the sufficiency of Christ fill her heart. I saw the sufficiency of Christ fill the remaining years of her life with purpose. And, you know, she had determined to share the gospel with every one of her 16 brothers and sisters and with her grandchildren, with her great-grandchildren, that trusting God that they would come to know Jesus. And so many of them did. My mom knew what it was like to be married and, and to be single again, to be a working mom with four kids. She knew what it was like to be remarried, but this time in a Christ-centered marriage that, that lasted for 46 years. She knew what it was like to live out the last decade of her life as a widow, all the while depending upon Jesus Christ for her sufficiency and her hope. You know, it's not wrong to pursue marriage. It's not wrong to pursue singleness. It is wrong to pursue either one of them for self-centered reasons with no regard for placing Jesus at the center of your pursuits. You know, if marriage becomes the sole means to acquire what you want out of life, then you've missed the point. If remaining single becomes the sole means to acquire what you want out of life, then you've missed the point. See, the point has to be Jesus. And then third, celebrate the incredible impact of living out your singleness in light of your relationship to Jesus Christ. Paige Benton has very insightfully written, accepting singleness, whether temporary or permanent, does not hinge on speculation about answers God has not given to our list of whys, but rather on celebration of the life that he has given. 
I am not single because I'm too spiritually unstable to possibly deserve a husband, nor because I'm too spiritually mature to possibly need one. I am single because God is so abundantly good to me, because this is his best for me. It is a cosmic impossibility that anything could be better for me right now than being single, she says. And then she goes on to say, let's face it, Singleness is not an inherently inferior state of affairs. If it were, heaven would be inferior to this world for the majority of Christians. But I want to be married, and I pray to that end every day. I may meet someone and walk down the aisle in the next couple of years because God is so good to me. I may never have another date and die an old maid at 93 because God is so good to me. Not my will, she says but his be done. You see, that is living out your singleness in in celebration and in light of who Jesus is. That is understanding that your singleness may only be momentary or it may be lasting in your lifetime. But in any circumstance, you are committed to making a significant kingdom difference with your life for his name's sake. So for now, you live your life in light of his redemption. You live your life demonstrating in your singleness the sufficiency of Jesus Christ in all things. And you live your life in celebration and in expectation to receive from the hand of a very good God. Not my will, but his be done. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are so thankful for your grace and for the way that you work in and through our lives, whether married or single. You are a God who delights us to come into your presence and to be used and unleashed to make a significant difference in this world to advance the kingdom of God. And we are so thankful, for it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.